Good morning. I'm so thankful that you're here today. Okay, I've got a question for you. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to tell your neighbor the first president that you, like, literally remember. I'm not talking like George Washington. I'm talking when you were born, the first president that you remember when you were young. So tell your neighbor right now. Okay, so in the, in the first service, okay, just didn't take that long. Come on, guys. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, uh, in the first service, I said my mother-in-law was here, and, uh, and she was, like, not one to admit her age. So I, um, but, I, but I want to ask a question. Does anybody in here remember Hoover as your first president? Is any Hoover? That was a long time ago. So... You're wise, if you remember Hoover. Uh, what about uh, Kennedy? Any Kennedy? You remember Kennedy as your first president? Okay, uh, what about, uh, let's see, who's, who's, who, what about Nixon? Does anybody remember Nixon as your first president? Okay, the Watergate, that was exciting. Um, okay, let's go back. Eisenhower, any of you, your first president is Eisenhower? Okay. Um, all right, for me, my first president that I remember was Carter, Anybody with me on the Carter? Um, um, but, but really, when I was paying attention, it was Reagan. Reagan was, I was a little kid when Carter was around, so I wasn't really paying attention. But what about Reagan? Like, like that was your first president to remember. Roosevelt? That's good. <laughs> and I'll always do what you say, always. Um, but... Um, Okay, any of you, the first president you remember is, is Bill Clinton? Anybody? Or, uh, okay. What about, okay, in our last service we had some, and I'll see if there's any in this service. Probably, probably not, maybe. Who's the, if Barack Obama was the first president you remember? Okay, you guys? All right. Um, you know what's interesting is right now, all the kids in our children's area, the first president they're going to remember is Donald Trump. And um, so, you know, it's interesting is I, I wore my glasses today because we're going to turn our attention to the political discourse. And I wore my glasses so I wouldn't get punched in the face. Okay, so, um, but I mean, so I did that on purpose today. Um, but, but, you know, we're, I, I had to get permission to use this illustration, and I got it about 10 o'clock last night. Um, but I, I, I got this picture that was in my closet. <laughs> it cracks me up that this picture was in my closet. We may have a picture of it. I think I may do a, we'll see if we can get it closer. There you go. That's a picture. That picture of my, that, that's, in, that's been in my closet. When I was, uh, when I had transferred to OBU, I was dating this girl named Robin Purifoy. And uh, man, uh, she uh, was a righteous fox. She still is a righteous fox. I can tell you that. And um, and re- you may not know this about Robin. She doesn't let me talk about it very much. Uh, but when she was going into her freshman year, she won a beauty pageant and uh, won the big dance. I mean, traveled all over the nation. And part of the 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 results of winning this beauty pageant, she she got to go to the Oval Office and meet President Bush. And so 
Paul and Margaret went with her and, and uh, got to go to the Oval Office. That's Senator Don Nichols, who was one of our senators. And, uh, and you know, golly, we, everybody that heard that was such an honor that, you, that she got to go do that. And, and it was really cool. We were all like, wow, that's a big deal. And then we went to OBU together, and she broke up with me, which was a bummer. Um, because for a little while at OBU, I was the guy, oh, you're the, you're the guy that the beauty queen dumped, right? And I was like, yeah, that was, that was, that was me. And uh, so that, that was a great reputation to have at OBU. Um, but, um, but thankfully, I hung on, and, 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 you know, 10 years ago, or no, excuse, excuse me, 25 years ago today, on February 10th, I asked her to marry me. 25 years ago today. Isn't that cool? That's cool. Um, and um, so we got married, and, and I'm grateful. But when I think about that moment when she got invited, everybody was like, wow, what an honor. And, and you know, when I think about what's going on today, I don't ever remember people getting invited to the White House to meet the president and turning it down. But that happens all the time today. And to me, it's like interesting because it shows that the respect of that office has, has really um, struggled. And, 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 you know, this morning, uh, I'm convicted a little bit. As I look at the landscape of our nation and the political discourse that's going on and, and the division in our country and and, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because even those of us that know Jesus, those that are following Christ, we tend to jump into the fray and we're just as vicious as everybody else. And I think we might ought to reconsider some things. You know, you know this morning we're, um, we're turning our face to Acts 25. Acts 25 is, and it's so cool walking through the book of Acts. Because in Acts 25, it's, it's really this narrative, this story of, of Paul just kind of in the political pipeline. He's, he, there, there's not really a big doctrine. There's not really a, a big teaching. It's just this moment that Paul uh, appeals to Caesar and he goes to Caesar. But, but as we look at Paul and as we walk with him, and we're going to walk with him all the way to Rome as we finish the book of Acts together, um, I think there's some things in this, in this chapter specifically that, that, that I think we need to really consider. And, and it's my prayer that, that we can look and, and observe how Paul navigated his political environment and, and I really think it will help us as we start, as we navigate ours. Because, you know, as, as Christians, I think we need to call a little time out and reconsider a few things. So, um, will you stand with me? Let's read Acts 25. And we're going we're gonna to focus in on, chapter, on verse 6. And we're going to go through verse 12 today. And would you just um, ask the Lord today just to help, help us as we begin to learn how to discuss our opinions, our convictions, our, um, our frustrations even. 
and learn to do this in a God-honoring way. So Acts 25, verse 6. After he'd stayed some time, stayed among them, excuse me, after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now stay with me in your Bibles here because I think it's important to look back at chapter 24 because it's where we ended last week. And, uh, and that's one of the things we do here if you're visiting. We, we, we tend to have a normal practice of just walking through the Bible because that, that, that's a, uh, to me, that's the best way to grow in our walk with the Lord is, and gives us a full understanding of Scripture. But um, we ended last week in verse 27 of chapter 24. It says, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, Felix was uh, this wicked guy. He was brutal. He was, a, he was a bad leader. I mean, all the historians look at him and just say, man, he was a piece of work. And, uh, and he suddenly dies. And we don't know much about his death, but all of a sudden there needs to be a new governor. And so let's get in our minds that, that, that Paul had been in prison for two years. And this is a long time. Two years he has been imprisoned for something he didn't do. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be kind of frustrating, right? If you're sitting in prison for years for something you didn't do. And, and, and what's interesting is two years had gone by and the Jews, they didn't give up. They're still trying to kill Paul. They still want him dead. Talk about holding a grudge. I mean, they're still wanting to get this guy. And, and, and you know, at this point, no charges have, have been filed against Paul, and he's had three different trials. They've not, been able, excuse me, they've not been able to prove that he's guilty of anything. And here we are in chapter, uh, chapter 25. This is the fourth time he's facing a trial. Now, we're going we're gonna to follow this guy. We're going to come meet this guy later. Uh, the Caesar in Rome is Nero. And, man, Nero was a, was a nut. Man, he was mean and, a, and just a crazy dude. And, and we'll come into him. But, but this is who Paul appeals to. Now, remember, Paul had, um, he had been told by God, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to testify about me. And this is, this is what's going on. Paul is on his way. He's on his way to Rome. And, and, and what's interesting is as this comes about, look at verse, uh, verse 1. 
uh, this new governor, Festus, is appointed. Felix dies. Festus comes in. Now, three days after Festus arrived in the province, verse 1, he went to Jerusalem for Caesarea. And, um, and so Festus is in power. He, he goes up to Jerusalem. Now, they, the, the governors and the leaders, they didn't stay in Jerusalem. They, they didn't live in Jerusalem. They lived in Caesarea. We went to Caesarea this summer. And, uh, man, it's so beautiful, right on the Mediterranean Sea. There was incredible palaces that were built. And, and the governors, plus, they, they didn't want to live in, in Jerusalem because people fought in Jerusalem. I mean, the peace in Jerusalem, str- the struggle for peace in Jerusalem has been going on for a very long time. And the governors, that was their job, to keep peace there. And, and Festus, he was, uh, he was an interesting guy. Um, so what we know about him is, is Felix was this brutal leader and Festus was better. Festus was this guy that was a secularist. He really didn't like the, the Jews necessarily. He wasn't very religious. But he was a guy that, that really believed in the law. He wanted to keep the rules. He liked government. And, and, and you know, most of the historians say that he was, he was a pretty good leader. Um, you know, there was a, uh, he's mentioned by Flavius Josephus, and he says about Festus that he was a real improvement to Felix. But he was a kind of a by-the-books guy. And that's kind of who he was. And, and, and it's interesting, even though he was a by-the-books guy, he was still a politician. And he was still one that was like, okay, I got I to gotta placate to all these people. I got to make everybody happy here. So we see in verse 2 of chapter 25, the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he should summon him to Jerusalem. Now, now why did they want him to go to Jerusalem? Right there. Because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Now remember, these are probably the same guys that took a vow two years earlier that said, we're not going to eat until Paul is dead. Now my guess is they've probably had a burger by now, okay, because, because it's been two years. So they've, but they're still holding on to this, we're going to ambush Paul, we're going to kill him. But, you know, Festus is pretty smart. He, he kind of, it's not his first rodeo here. In verse 4, Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he'd go there shortly. And, uh, and he said, look, if you want to talk to me, come here, and, uh, and I'll talk to you. Now, now, there's some really cool things going on here that I want to I just point out. And one of the core doctrines that we believe as followers of Christ is the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. And I, I want you to know that regardless of what goes on in the world, regardless of what goes on in our lives, God is always on the throne. Nothing is a surprise to him. He is sovereign. That means he is, he is in charge. And in this passage, you see God's sovereignty at work. Because you see these Jews that are trying to kill Paul, and God going, yeah, that's not my plan. My plan is for Paul to go to, to Rome to testify so it doesn't matter what these Jews are going to do, how much they scheme and how much they plan, how much that they fast and don't eat, uh, God's like, yeah, not going to happen because I have a plan in Paul's life. But you know what else you see? You see the sovereignty of God playing out in the governors and the leaders that are coming in and out of power here. Um, you know, Felix suddenly dies 
And that, uh, we don't know how, but we just know he suddenly died. Now Festus comes in. Now, Festus is a little bit, Felix, remember, Felix was this leader that kept going to Paul saying, I want to reason with you. He and his wife, Drusilla, they kept wanting to meet with him. And, and Festus is such, or, or Felix is such a sad story because I think he's constantly hearing the message of God and then resisting it. And, and then Felix, he dies, Festus comes in, and God was in charge of all of it. Now, Point number one today is this, though. I want us to see this, and, and, and we need to recognize this. Do you realize that God puts leaders in place? That's point number one today. God puts leaders in place. And this is something that I've seen in the media this recently about someone mentioned, I think, that, that God put leaders in place, and people are like, really? Are you kidding me? You think God actually is responsible for this? Yes, I do. All through history, we see this, and, and the Bible tells us this. Romans 13 is, a, is an important passage for you to be aware of because it kind of articulates the role of government. It's one of the biblical places we can go to, and it says, verses 1 through 4, let me just look at it real quick. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. And so basically, it goes on, and you can study that on your own, but, but, but I want us to see that government is a God-ordained expression of God's authority on earth. And we see this. This is just what the Bible reveals. Now, at the same time, and we're not going to go into this today, there are times that it's right to oppose an authority. We should, there are times, that it, there are circumstances that it would be right for us to stand in opposition of authority. Now, if we did that, we might face the consequences of this. But you know what? There are some times that those consequences are worth it because we follow God first. But now here's, here's where we are in the United States. And let's let this sink in for a little bit because in our discourse, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty vicious right now. And many of us are guilty of jumping in the middle of being some of the most vicious and can I just stand in front of us with you and just say we ought to rethink some of this? Because the character of government in the United States ref, re, rep, reflects the character of the governed. Now think about this. The character of the government that we have, it reflects the character of the governed because we're a democracy and so when we get frustrated about our government, let's think about this. If we want better leaders, maybe we should be better people. Because sometimes we get in a political discourse and we start going, you, you, you. And maybe the first thing we ought to do is consider, what am I? What about me? And I think that as a follower of Christ, we ought to call time out. 
But here's what else I want us to realize. I just got back from the International Mission Board. And, and it's an organization that's part of us as Southern Baptists. And, and I'll tell you what, I am so proud of what we are doing around the world as Southern Baptists. Because I've gotten this back, back behind the scenes look at the missionaries that are going around the world. And let me tell you something, we, we are doing some things really well as Southern Baptists. And in our church, we give to the cooperative program, which is we cooperate with Southern Baptists all over the nation. And, and so the missionaries that go out from us are fully funded. They don't have to raise their own support. It's a phenomenal um, use of our dollars. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful that we get to be a part of this, that I get to be a part of this as a, as a representative of Oklahoma from for Southern Baptist uh, and, and get to speak into the International Mission Board. But, but, but you know what, I, what I'm discovering as I'm hearing these stories of missionaries, and, and there was a moment this week where we did a commissioning, and there was a, there was a couple that, that I've gotten to know, and, and I watched them stand up in front of this commissioning ceremony and, and get this. They, they had to dim the lights because the place that they're going, it has to be secretive. That they're going into a country where it's not legal to be a Christian. And you know how they're going? They're, they're, there's, there's, five of, there's, there's five of them going. A husband, wife, a three-year-old son, and the daughter and the wife just had twins. And as soon as they get medical clearance from their twins, they're going to this country where it's illegal to be a Christian. Yeah, yeah. They're... Uh, their family's kind of struggling. They said to the young man, I feel like you just joined the Christian Marines and you're taking my grandkids. And, but here's what I'm seeing. As I look at missionaries around the world, that the gospel is thriving in every political environment around the world. Do you realize that? So when we start looking at enemies around our world, let's not forget that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in every one of those places. And so maybe we shouldn't just go blow them all up. Um, but Christianity has survived and in many cases thrived in every form of government that humanity has imagined. Sometimes we think, and I love being an American. I love it that God called, allowed me to be here. I, a statement was made, you are, all of us are one um, sovereign God's choice away from being born in a completely different country. And, and I believe that we've been given a lot and much is required of us as Christians, as Americans. But but let's, let's not get so blinded by the thought that we are, we are the only people that God has his hand on. God is at work in every political environment. And let's, let's remember that God puts leaders in place. For Paul, government wasn't the point. This trial that he's on was not some obstacle to overcome. That's not what Paul was doing here. Let's learn from him here. That, that, um, 
this trial that Paul was on, this government system that, that Paul was in, it was simply a vehicle for him to share his story of, of faith. And let's not forget that. that. That this was just the way Paul was going to share, talk about Jesus. And see, here's what's the tragedy with Festus and the Jews, that, that Festus knew more about the politics of the Jews than he knew about their God. Now, now, here's what's interesting about God and his plan for the world, his sovereignty, that from the very beginning of, of, of human history, God ordained a people for the purpose of being the priest nation to the world. So, so this group, of, this small family was called to, to help the world see who God is. And then Jesus came and he fulfilled all those prophecies and Jesus entered human history and then you and I, and we see this through the book of Acts, that Paul shares the gospel through the Gentiles to the Gentiles and that's most of us. We're Gentiles and now we are grafted in as God's people. And, it, and I want us to remember that it is our job, it is our calling to help the world know who God is. And here's what's sad to me, that people that don't think like us or believe like us, maybe they know more of our political views than they do about our Savior. And, and you know what? I pray that we don't forget that we have this same calling to help the world see who Jesus is. So as we engage the political debate and discourse in our world, I think it's very important for us to keep in mind that we are called to represent God to the nations. And I think we need to do a better job of that. Because I'm concerned that we have their same reputation. That we are, um, we need to consider that. Verse 6, or excuse me, verse 8. Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to go to the Jews, to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. And I'm amazed how Paul kept his cool. I'm amazed how he was a, a faithful prisoner. And, and, and you know, when I look at what he did here, he lived his life above reproach. And when I think about us as, a, as believers, we're called to live our lives above reproach. That's point number two. Live your life above reproach. Because this is what Paul's doing, is he's engaging this political discourse as he is, he, he's not, um, he's a faithful prisoner. You know, this is where my life verse is, uh, um, you know, my, my life verse is Ephesians 4.1. Paul writes this, I urge you, therefore, to live your life, um, to, excuse me, I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. That's Ephesians 4.1. And what, what, this is where Paul's learning this lesson. He's a prisoner, and he's not, he shouldn't have been a prisoner. 
But Ephesians 4.1 is where he's, he's learning this, this lesson. He, um, he's lived above reproach. And, and I think we ought to consider the way we're living, the way we're treating people, the way we're interacting with people that don't think like us, don't act like us. Above reproach doesn't mean perfect. It means you've built a reputation of faithfulness. And, and that's something I pray we as a, as a people, we, we understand, that, that we live a reputation of faithfulness. What's your reputation? What's our reputation as Christians? Are we a people that, that are living um, with integrity? We're living um, a reputation of faithfulness to God. Now, Again, we see in Paul's life here, it's impossible to live above accusation. I mean, he was accused here, and anybody can make an accusation. But what Paul does over and over again, he says, look, you've seen my life. You see my reputation, and, and, and I'm living above reproach. And, and they've never been able to prove anything different. So it reminds me of Proverbs 10.9. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way will become known. And, and Paul walked securely. He walked with integrity. And I think that we need to consider this. Now, verse 11. Back to verse 11. Paul says, If then I'm a wrongdoer, but have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. So what Paul's doing here, he's basically, he knows his rights, he knows what's going on. And this is what's amazing as the sovereignty of God works out because God had already told Paul, look, I'm going to send you to Rome and your job, your goal is to testify about me. And so now it's awesome because the church doesn't have to take up an offering to send Paul to Rome. Paul doesn't have to dip into his checkbook to send himself to Rome. The Roman government is going to pay a free trip to Rome all the way to Caesar. And God's sovereignty works out. Now, what I love about what Paul's doing here and something I want us to really consider today is that all along the way, we see Paul engaging with prisoners, with Jews, with fellow Christians, with government officials. And his mentality is, I'm an ambassador for Christ. We see him engaging as an ambassador for Christ. That's point three. This is something I pray we remember, that we experience. Folks, as, as we engage in this political conversation, as we engage in the political discourse in our world, let's not forget that we're, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is a core value of our church. We've got it written on our core values that, that we are to hold one another accountable and help one another engage as ambassadors for Christ. Now, we've got some big issues we're facing in our country. I'll be honest, border security is a, something we ought to look at. We, when you think about health care, those are big issues. Um, we have, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm an expert on, on border security 
I'm not sure I, I have a, a real sense of how to handle all that. But one of the things I do know is that refugees are people we should care about. Right? Surely we should. Um, I, I don't know that I'm the expert on health care. I'm going to hold my convictions there with a little humility. I don't know about all the things about global warming. I'm, I'm not an expert in those things. So I should hold my views with a little humility. Um, we have some big moral issues that, that, are, that are perplexing for us. When I think about the LGBTQ issues in our world, we're going to deal with this at Family Matters at the end of this month. Um, we can't keep our head in the sand on these things. The abortion debate has been very difficult, and we do believe that, that life begins at conception. And, and you know, there, there are some, but, but at the same time, I know people that are in our, in our community, in our church, who have gone through abortions, and don't they need our help? We have people struggling with, with homosexuality and those, and those sins, and sometimes we make it into, oh, that's a worse sin than, um, you know, I don't want my son to be gay, but, uh, but if he lives with his girlfriend, that's okay. No, it's not. I mean, come on, come on. We've got, we need to rethink our, our attitude and our discourse. Now, we have big issues, and we may not get some of these issues right, but you know what we, we do get right is the gospel. We get the gospel right. We know the gospel. And, and, and honestly, when I, when I think about what Paul did here, let's, let's just look at a couple of things real quick. We, we see him doing so well. He, he engaged this political discourse respectfully, and I think we ought to consider this. We got to engage respectfully as we encounter people that don't think like us, don't act like us. Can't we do this respectfully? I mean, can't we do this in a way that is is um, even when we disagree to to disagree in an agreeable way? I mean, my goodness gracious, my wife's a kindergarten teacher. She does this every day. I mean, she gets out on the playground and go, "Okay, let's stop, let's stop spitting on each other, let's stop hitting each other. Come on, let's get along. We're friends." We're in the same school. I think it might be beneficial to send some kindergarten teachers to, to Washington and say, hey, let's, let's, come on, guys. Come on. Let's. And maybe even in our own lives, though, before we just take point to them, which they're easy targets. But let's look at us. Shouldn't we learn from some things, some things from our kindergarten instructors? Boy, aren't you glad you're not a kindergarten teacher? I am. I'm glad. But he engaged respectfully. He engaged with empathy, right? The whole time he had empathy. He, he looked at Festus. He looked at Felix. He looked at these leaders and said, said, look, you need Jesus. I want you to know my Savior. He had empathy with the lostness in the world. And shouldn't we be, as Christians, empathetic with those that are broken, those that have gone through abortion? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we be moved to empathy? Paul was empathetic. He engaged with empathy. He engaged courageously. I mean, he got punched in the mouth. He, he didn't back down. We've looked at these things. He engaged with co- courage, and it's going to require courage as we 
walk with the Lord in this political environment. He took a stand. And there are times we'll have to take a stand. And, and you know what? We will disagree. But again, to disagree in, a, in an agreeable way. He, he knew his rights. He says, I appealed to Caesar. Uh, he, Festus went and looked at his, met with his advisors and said, hey, man, this is the law. Okay, to Caesar you go. He knew his rights. We should know ours. But lastly, this is so important, he kept the goal in mind. And the goal in mind that it was he's an ambassador for Christ. And I'm saying to us today, we, we need to engage this political discourse, this viciousness in our culture. Um, we need to do this a little better. We need to do this with the mindset of an ambassador for Christ. And, and, and I started with a question. Can I end with a question? And it's this. Does the way you talk about politics make people hungry to know more about your God? And is that the way, when we talk and engage with others, are people going, I want to know your Savior? Let's call time out in this environment. Because, folks, let me tell you something. The hope that the world needs is not found in our government. It's not found in our next energy plan. It's not found in, in our health care opportunities or our border security. The hope in our lives is Christ. And the hope for the world is the church. Because this is the one group that, that will, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And let's, let's keep in mind that, that our country, our nation, is um, coming up on 300 years old in the next several years. Well, how old are we? 280? I don't remember. We're not that old, right? And, and as wonderful it is as it is to be an American... If history is accurate, there will be a day America will not exist. Our form of government will not last. And so let's keep our hope in Christ where it needs to be. And let's, let's get a better perspective because um, governments rise and fall. They have since the beginning. But the word of God stands forever, folks. First Peter 1, 24 and 25 says this. So now, we know the gospel. Our world, our nation needs Jesus, we need to be people that engage better. We also need to be people that pray for our leaders. So that's our invitation today. Let's, as, as Eden leads us, let's pray for our nation. Let's repent of our failures and let's honor the Lord as his ambassadors.